So I like to uh, first get acclimated to the bright lights <laughs> when the sanctuary has been dark and I'm sitting over here in the far corner and then I come up and it's bright. Uh, but I also like to just kind of look out and, and look at you. I know I've said that before, but I mean it. It's one of the things that I look forward to most. Um, it's right here at the front end. I'm with God's people. And that feels good. Um, it's been sweet worship so far, hasn't it? I mean, we had children up here and we got to hear dads pray for their children. And that is so rich. And will yield eternal results for the good. And we just want to say amen to that. Um, Jessica is leading us in song and, uh, and in prayer and in scripture reading. She just does such an anointed job of that every time. Uh, filling in for George right now, uh, he and Noel had had another child uh, born earlier this week. And so uh, we praise God for that. And, but Jessica's leading. And <laughs> applause, you know, at least someone up there is like, yeah, that's good news. It is good news. So yeah, now everyone. <laughs> that is good news. Thank God for, for children, you know. Arrows, it says in Psalm 127. Uh, but, but, but Jessica, and, and, and she's uh, reading, by the way, from Revelation chapter 5. And love that chapter. Uh, love that book, but love that chapter about Jesus. It says there, and I don't want to share it again, uh, there, and I think it's a verse 12. Uh, Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Talking about Jesus. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Awesome. I just want to say hallelujah to that, you know. And now we're, we're praying for uh, Daniel and for Faith and their little one. And she's walking off the stage holding and... Do you understand that very shortly, they're going to be halfway around the world in the desert and what's essentially, to, um, I've not been there, but the way it gets described to me, it's almost like a, it's almost like, like a concentration camp. I, I mean, it's, these people have been uh, limited to that space Ian shared first hour uh, for, for 40 years or, or longer. And we have a couple from this church who's going into that environment long-term to love them with the love of Christ. And that is powerful. And I just want to make sure that we're remembering them, not just this morning in prayer, but like two weeks from now, and a month from now, and a year from now. And oh my, this is so good here. What are they going through right about now? Those sorts of things. So faithfulness, you know. It's so awesome to see God give that. And then as we uh, are strengthened by that and we live our lives and, and that our faithfulness that he is strengthening goes back to his glory. And that's just awesome because he is so pleased with that. He is so pleased to fuel it and then to get it back, to receive it back from us. All right, well, anyway, I, I just, I'm a little bit swept up in the morning, um, and it feels good right now. Uh, and I'm already laughing about what I want to share with you here in a moment. Um, I have a question. 
Have you ever been told by someone to look out for someone else? Or, or have you ever been told um, to, to look out for a certain kind of person? Just think to yourself about that for a moment. Um, I want to tell you a little bit about my grandma. And this is not my mom's mom, but my dad's mom. Her name was Kate. And uh, she was probably the most... uh, uh, There's so many words to describe her. I don't know that I've ever shared anything about her with you. She... um, She... uh, Let's see. She died two weeks before her 99th birthday. And she was up and active... I want to say three weeks before her 99th birthday. Just spry. Uh, Short little woman, uh, thin as a rail all her life. And she grew up, she kind of came of age uh, in the roaring 20s. And I had been racking my brains for the last 24 hours. What was that dance or that dance style that they were all into in the 20s? And and, and I'm I'm trying to remember my history books. And and, and last service, they all shouted out the Charleston. What? The Charleston. But that was it. But but do you remember that they used to wear um, like these knee-length skirts, sleeveless, with, with uh, necklaces just spilling down. And, and then they would have these scarves, uh, and, and the scarves would be like all the way down to your ankles. Remember that? And, and my grandma, before she became a believer, was all into dance competitions. I mean, she loved to dance. Just dance, dance, dance. It's all she wanted to do. And so she would compete, and she would win. I mean, she... What a woman. She couldn't cook to save her life. Which I want to say in that generation especially is like somehow sinful. Um, but, but we dreaded going. Every Thanksgiving we had to go to grandma's house and we just dreaded it. And the entire family, all my uncles and their families, everyone, we would all look forward to going out for pizza later that evening because my grandma, bless her heart, the meal stunk. It just was terrible. And she couldn't drive either. My uncles would tell me when she would come and babysit for us, I'm in high school, and they, and they wouldn't call me Nate, my uncles. This gives you a little picture of our family. But, but, but they would say, uh, now nephew, you know, it's this big deep void. Now nephew, I'm telling you, don't let your grandma drive. And it doesn't matter that you don't have your license yet, you need to get behind the wheel. I don't want my mom driving that car with you kids in it. I don't want my mom in a car behind the wheel. Anyway. But I'll tell you some things about my grandma. Okay. <laughs> I'm asking the question of, have you ever had anyone come and tell you to look out for someone else or another kind of person? My grandma shows up with my grandpas when they were both still alive. Many years ago, I'm in high school. Now, I'm 6'5", and my grandma is short. And she comes in. I don't remember what we've been talking about, but I remember the room in the house where the conversation occurred. And she says to me, "Um, now, Nathan, I have something to say to you. And, okay. (laughs) She says, you need to look out for the girls. (laughs) And I'm like, uh, okay. She said, do you, do you have girlfriends? And I said, well, yeah, I have girls that I 
you know, hang out with, and I would call them friends, and she says, but do you kiss them? <laughs> she says. And, and I said, well, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I mean, some of them maybe, sometimes. And, and, and this is what she says to me. She starts to give me the credentials. She says, they need to be good kissers. I'm like, what in the world? This is my grandma. They need to be good kissers. Okay. <laughs> and then she says, and something else about them. You don't want them movie going. <laughs> She's such a good little uh, legalistic fundamentalist, my grandma. My, 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 my grandma was married to my grandfather, uh, who was uh, an itinerant evangelist for the GARB, the Greater Association of Regular Baptists, and he was hardcore. Schofield Notes, some of you are going to know what that means. It's a kind of a footnoted version of the Bible that, you know, you wanted to have that baby in your hand back then, or you might not be saved. So she was serious that way. But she comes with these credentials. She has to be a good kisser. And she better not be a moviegoer. <laughs> okay. And the third thing, she better love Jesus. Huh. My grandma would come out and she would kind of, um, well, she would babysit. She'd fly from Columbus, Ohio, and uh, she would be wherever we were living, which at that time was outside of New York City. And my parents were overseas somewhere, whatever. And so it's me, my brother, and my sister. She'd get up, she'd, I mean, I, I mean this when I say it, bless her heart. She'd make a pretty cruddy lunch in a, in a paper bag, and she'd give me that, and she, but then she'd come up, and she would, um, she would say, now, and she'd kind of walk close to me, and I'd start walking backwards, and i kind of put my arm like this a little bit. <laughs> she'd put her little chipmunk hands right on top of my forearm, and she'd look up at me, and she'd say, can you imagine what it's going to be like to see him? Yeah. She loved Jesus. She loved to dance. She loved to play the piano. She called it the pianer. <laughs> she loved Jesus. And as I'm turning around, I got to get out. It's 7.40. I got to walk to school, head up the hill to the high school. And she would call me. And I'd turn around, and she just had this smile on her face. And she'd be pointing up in the sky, and she'd say, perhaps today, perhaps today, meaning that maybe Jesus was going to come back, and that according to her theology as a good fundamentalist, pre-trib, pre-millennial, you know, half of us maybe don't even know what that is, and it doesn't matter this morning, okay? She's believing that Jesus is going to come and gather us up in the clouds, and that perhaps today we'll see him, and wouldn't that be awesome? We've been in this series, Book of Colossians, 
on the unrivaled Christ. Great word choice, unrivaled, that Pastor Trent, I assume it was Pastor Trent, chose that. And today we're looking at this theme from chapter 2, verses 16 to 23. And the theme, the main point, the big idea is guarding your freedom in the unrivaled Christ. Guarding your freedom in the unrivaled Christ. And the way Paul starts out, this particular piece of that letter is to say that there are certain sorts of people that you want to look out for. And I want to go ahead and describe about four of them to you, he says there. And the first one is this. The condemning person. The condemning person. We're going to read that right now, starting in verse 16. I'm going to read through the whole text, and we'll come back to the condemning person. Okay? Colossians 2.16. Therefore... Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not take, do you catch the kind of a sarcastic tone here from Paul? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Back to verse 16. Let no one pass judgment on you. Because Paul was aware that people do. And that they're going to. And that they take issue with things like, oh, got to put my glasses back on. They take issue with stuff like food and drink. That is, they take issue with your diet. They take issue with stuff like uh, festivals and new moon opportunities. That is, it has, it, they're taking issue with the way that you praise. They're taking issue with the amount of sacrifices that you're kind of visibly communicating in front of all the other people to God. And then they take issue with the Sabbath, it says here. Third thing, take issue with the Sabbath with how it is that you rest and when you rest and just how you go about it and what you look like as you do. And he's saying, don't let that happen to you. Don't you remember that back in, you know, this isn't Paul necessarily saying it this way, but back in Mark 7, verse 19, that Jesus had declared everything okay. Hey, 
go ahead, all food is good to go. Jesus himself said that. And that in Romans 14, Paul said, hey, when it, when it comes to this stuff, if, if you're convinced that it's okay and what you're wanting to do, your goal is to honor the Lord Jesus in what you're doing, then go for it. That's a super kind of a truncated view of Romans 14. But, but, but that's the idea there. And now Paul is having to say to the church in Colossae, that, hey, there are some people who are going to come along and they're going to want to convince you that, especially as Gentiles here in this church, that you need more than just the blood, just the blood of Jesus. You need to add some things to your faith or you may not be saved. By the way, do we realize that there are multiple kind of definitions of this word judgment in the New Testament? For example, um, you know, one would be the final judgment where Jesus comes back, he's with all of his angels, he's in his glory, Matthew 25, and it says that he judges and he separates the sheep from the goats. And you want to end up on the right side of Jesus as a sheep, not the left side as a goat because that's the final, kind of your, your, your eternal destiny is finalized in Jesus' selection on that occasion. So Lord, you know, bring us all to the right side of Jesus on that day. Or in Revelation 20 when the Lamb's book of life is opened up and, you know, is your name in there or not? will make all the difference, all the difference. Is your name in there or not? Final judgment. Another kind of judgment that the New Testament talks about would be a kind of um, moral discernment. Um, 1 Corinthians 5 and 6, Paul is talking to the Corinthian church and he's saying, hey, aren't we supposed to kind of help keep an eye on one another and to judge, that's the word he uses, and to judge one another inside the church so that we can kind of hold each other accountable, so that we can continue to grow, so that we can put off the old and put on the new, the way that Pastor Trent is going to preach about, I assume preach about, chapter 3 next week here in Colossians. A kind of moral discernment, even in Matthew 7, probably gets quoted or at least remembered more than any other text in this topic of judgment, maybe more than any text, period. Judge not, Matthew 7, 1, but it goes on. Judge not, lest you be judged. But it goes on, and the idea there is Jesus saying to us, don't judge until you're ready to be judged according to the standard with which you're judging. You see, here's the truth of the matter. You probably have enough wood to fill a lumber mill in your own eye. And you need to look to that wood first. But you need to look to that wood so that, and this is what the text says, so that you can then turn and help your brother, help your sister, when it comes to the speck that is in their eye. Moral discernment. So it's not, hey, I'm never going to judge again. I'm never going to morally discern again. I'm not going to get in your I'm not going to get on your case if you don't get on mine. 
That's the last thing that Jesus is talking about there. But moral discernment. Then there's a third kind that is actually the kind that gets, you know, criticized here by Paul in this text, wherein, again, there are these ideas that are presented to the church and they're saying, now, in addition to the blood of Christ, you need to watch what you eat. And you need to watch how you worship. And, and, and you need to watch uh, to how you rest and take advantage of the Sabbath day and these sorts of things. Because if you don't do those things, you might not be saved. In fact, it's at least imply, I want to at least imply, if not tell you outright, you're not saved if you don't do these things. In fact, you are condemned. That's why I describe the person as a condemning person. That's why the word judgment or judgmental gets used here in the text. Condemning person. I was having a conversation with, uh, with my wife, Kim, last night, and we're talking about um, this idea of condemnation. And we were remembering Romans 8.1. Romans 8, probably maybe the most well-known or most loved chapter in the Bible for many. Okay, so Romans 8. The first verse of which says, there is now therefore no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. And all you gotta do is be in Christ. There is no condemnation. But as Kim and I are talking, Kim is sharing with me, you know, there are a lot more people than you would think who, while they wouldn't tolerate others coming to them to condemn them, they are actively, privately condemning themselves. And I thought, yeah. You know, I... Tell me more about that. And, and, and she did. And just this idea of how we get on ourselves. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sitting down here between services, and even as Jessica's leading us through songs and that kind of thing, you know what I'm thinking to myself? I did a really poor job last service. I kind of stunk. You know? I forgot to say this. I didn't say that other thing in the right way. Then I got jumbled up and I had to backtrack. Whatever. And I'm over here kicking myself. Rather than experience what one of the pastors was praying for, for me, you know, before the service, saying, Father, this is of you today. You're the one. And you're in charge and we just want to honor you. And we can be safe. We are safe in that. We can feel secure in that. So just free Nate up to just say it for what it is. Rather than do that, I'm over here kicking myself. And don't we do that sometimes? Ah, oh, I'm so stupid. I blew it again. You know, God can't be pleased. I've let him down. And I just want to say to kind of counter that, that let's stop talking to ourselves with that kind of language and rather talk to ourselves in the ways that Jesus would talk to us because Jesus doesn't talk to us that way, right? Someone way over there quietly said amen. 
Amen. He doesn't talk to us that way. He doesn't come to you and say, you're such a jerk. <laughs> such an idiot. <laughs> you're such a loser. He just loves you. You are his son. You are his daughter. He wraps you up. And there are times when he says to me and to you, I know. It's all right. You're still secure. You're still mine. I love you. I'm always going to love you. There's nothing that you can do to outsin my love. Come on. I went to the cross. There's nothing you can do. All right. So the first kind of person is the condemning person. Second person is in the next verse or two. Look at verse 18. Let no one disqualify you insisting. So the second kind of person after the condemning person is the insistent person. The insistent person. Comes with a little more subtlety actually. Insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions. Whoa. (laughs) I mean, if you've got an NIV in your lap and you're looking there, rather than the word asceticism, it's going to use the phrase false humility. Now, asceticism, you you can kind of look that word up in the dictionary and get a feel for what that is. But what it's really driving at is a false sense of humility. And I think the NIV version has got it right in that. And don't we see some of that nowadays? Even in our culture, a kind of false humility. You know, I want to present myself, if I'm savvy, and I'm out and about trying to relate in my culture, I want to present myself as humble. Maybe not as God defines that, but at least as culture defines that. Culture seems to appreciate a fair bit of um, self-deprecation, self-effacedness. Puts people at ease, and so I'm going to practice that. Now, I've known some who feel that genuinely, and from time to time, they let that loose, and you can see that. And I say, all right. I mean, at least it seems to me, and I'm not, I don't see the heart, but that seems to me like, that's, that's real. But I also know that we live in a culture that says, no, you can kind of get that going as a form of art. And you can present yourself in ways that will uh, be almost self-demeaning, that will give you yardage in the impression of other people. And you can do that, and they'll like you more. And we live in a culture that says, you ought not to be coming across as very certain about what you believe. You need to come across across with a little bit of, uh, uh, not doubt, but a little bit of uncertainty maybe. Because that's just somehow more real. And you need to come across as not too confident. Because if you come across as too confident, then, well... Maybe you're just arrogant and we can afford to ignore you and certainly we don't want to trust you because you're too sure of what you're saying. 
And so we don't want to trust you. We live in that kind of a culture. And so what do we do with false humility? And Paul is saying, well, make sure that you spot it. Be on the lookout. Know what it is. Pray for the kind of discernment that's going to catch it when you come across it. And not just the false humility. He goes on and he says, and worship of angels. Better phrase there, better idea is, again, I think in the NIV, where more than a worship of angels, more than the church in Colossae had begun to worship angels, it was an insistence that your worship be angel-like. Interesting. Sometimes as I've been out and about and different conferences and, and I listen to different preachers and I hear different worship leaders and so forth and there, there, there's almost this... Um, practiced form of breathlessness where we're just talking about, you know, everything that's just so, so, so glorious about Jesus Christ. And when John Piper delivers that way, I want to say, yeah, he's been that way for a long time and I believe you, brother. And then I see too many of my my peers, you know, fellow pastors out there, let's say, try to imitate that. And I said, don't, don't, don't imitate that. That's got to be real or it's no good. When it comes to worship, don't be disqualified. Don't be judged. Don't allow yourself to be influenced by the kind of person who may come along and tell you that you have to worship in a certain way, that you have to kind of um, visibly prove to the rest of us, you know, maybe with your hands up in the air, let's say. Example off the top of my head. That if you don't have your hands up in the air, then you're not worshiping the way that you should be. Because you should be expressing more freedom in Christ to get your hands up in the air than you're actually doing. And so get your hands up in the air so that your worship will qualify you for salvation. That kind of person, or that idea, is one worthy to be rejected. And that's what Paul is saying here. Don't let people disqualify you for that. There are all kinds of people in this sanctuary right now who, while we were singing the first three songs, had their hands up in the air. For real. And if you feel compelled to put your hands up in the air, wonderful. If you feel compelled by the Holy Spirit to do that. If you're wanting to do that to send a message, I don't think that's good. I don't know that God would say that's good. I mean, we're here not to prove worship to one another. We are here to meet with God. And if I wasn't going to meet with God on a Sunday morning, then doggone, I'd much rather go and trail run up to White Rock Acre or something like that. (laughs) Meet with God. And then the final thing, detailed vision. 
just be careful as people come to you and they may, or may, they may say to you at times, hey, I have a word from God for you. Here's the right way to, to receive that. Think to yourself, maybe, not definitely, but maybe. And so what I'm going to do is I want to listen to you. I, I, I believe that you love me and you've come to me with this because you want to encourage and edify me, okay. And now feel free to share whatever it is that you've had in private revelation before the Lord with me. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the word, which, you know, the Bible, I'm going to take the word and I'm going to compare your word against his word. And if your word that you say is from him is consistent with this word, then I'm going to say thank you for that. I'm going to say thank you. But if it's not, then I'm going to say, you know what? I appreciate your love and your sincerity toward me and in my life, but your sincerity doesn't mean you're right. Your sincerity doesn't mean that's true, what you're passing on to me. I continue to be loved by you, continue to love you in return. But in this instance, if it doesn't jive with God's word, then I'm not going to take it to heart. That's the right way to receive that. All right. So that's the second one, an insistent person. So be on the lookout for a condemning person. Be on the lookout for an insistent person when it comes to insisting upon these things. Third kind of a person, jump down to verse 23. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion. Be careful around the people who really, really love you but may or may not have a whole lot of love for Jesus. Because they're going to come to you and they're going to come with all kinds of sensitivity and genuine concern for you. I don't want to say that it's not genuine. But it's going to appear to be wise because of the amount of love it's been baked in. When in fact, it's not going to be wise. Because what they're doing is they're encouraging a self-made religion. These are friends, perhaps, who will come and say, hey, this thing, Christianity, is such a cool thing, and you kind of get to chart your own course through it. You kind of pick your own way through. And whatever it is that you want, Jesus is so awesome, and he'll come and he'll bless that for you. But you can kind of go through the Bible and you can pick the passages that you like and then just kind of look the other way on the passages you don't like. Because, hey, doesn't it sound just right that that's how such a loving God would have us follow him? No. No, not at all. This is not a self-made religion that we practice. He's given us his word. And this is what we can follow as we follow him. So I call that person the seductive person. Seductive. So be careful of the condemning person. Be careful of the insistent person. Be careful 
of the seductive person when they look to seduce, even unwittingly seduce in that way. And then the fourth and final, I call it a Christless person because I don't know quite what else to call it. But when you look here at verse 19, the description, and not holding fast to the head. And that word head gets capitalized because it's talking about Jesus. Jesus. And that this person lets loose, doesn't want anything to do with Jesus. And there may be plenty of great talk about other awesome, wonderful, beautiful things. There may be a lot of talk. Uh, Uh, about family, for instance. Family is my everything. My kids. Everything. Yeah, I'm I'm committed to family. I'm committed to my own family. You know, the guys on Friday morning, the men's Bible study will tell you that every week we pray for everyone's family. Every week, every Friday morning, 6 a.m., we're praying for family, committed to family, but his family are all in all. We're committed to the church, right? The body of Christ, but is the church our all in all? We're committed to the lost, but you tell me if it's true. Does Mark 12, 30 say, and you shall love the lost with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Anybody? No. Doesn't say that. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God, the Lord, not the lost, the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Wonderful that we have the gift of evangelism. Wonderful that we're developing compassion for other people and that we want to see as many come in as possible. Amen. Greatest commandment. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Hold on to the head is what Paul is saying there. That's the antidote or, or the, uh, the, the, the standard. That's the safety mechanism. Hold on to the head. Hold on to Jesus Christ at all costs. So that's the first paragraph. And then the second paragraph, just two questions for us. First in verse 20, if with Christ you died, that's a mighty big if, don't you think? If with Christ you died. Said everyone in the room has to ask the question, am I really saved? Is it true? Can I be included here? In Paul's letter to the Colossians, Because in another version, it's going to say, since with Christ you died. Okay, now the more literal is if, but since with Christ. So so that Paul's assuming that the people who are going to listen to him are actually saved. He's making that assumption. And he could do that. He knew them. But it's a question for us. Am I really saved? And if I am then why not act like it and cease being bound by all these human precepts and traditions and regulations and nonsense? Just chalk that. Be done with it. Jesus said in Matthew 16, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But 
whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Am I saved? Are you actually saved? Are you in Christ? Has the Holy Spirit of God done that once and for all transforming work in your heart? Has he? I hope so. Can't right now. All I got to do is ask him. Father, I can't do this on my own. I know I'm a sinner. I hate that about me. And I feel like I am so broken. And just save me. And he will. And he will. Because he's there with you. I can't read your mind. He knows you. Whatever you just thought, he knew what you would think last moment a billion years ago, even before he created anything, he knew. Awesome. It's awesome to think about. All right. So, and then just the second to last question. Um, down in verse 23, that last phrase, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Just wanted to remind us that the flesh is still something that needs to be dealt with, the sinful uh, man, and that that's what Trent, I assume, is going to be preaching about next week. He's going to get into chapter three. He's going to start uh, to talk about what it means to uh, put to death the deeds of the flesh, to be putting off the old, be putting on the new, what it means to live a daily life in Christ Jesus that, yeah, we still need to get after it. We still need to live the kind of life that we're being called to in Christ. We still need to be practicing the spiritual disciplines. We still need to see the emergence of spiritual fruit, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc. in our lives. We still need to be pursuing these things but we need to be pursuing them without attitudes of self-righteousness, without attitudes of legalism, without the kind of influence that condemning and insistent and seductive and, at least in this sense, Christless people would exert Upon us. I want to be careful. Yeah, it's 12.01. I want to share something with you super quick, and then we are going to have a last song. Um, just want to share something with you that Kim and I memorized years ago, right before we got married. We were still engaged. And the reason I want to do this is because I want to give us a picture of the kind of people that we do want to be welcoming into our lives because I've only talked this morning about the kind of folks that we need to be careful about and in, some, in many cases just kind of steer clear of. Um, but the kind of people that we want to welcome in as influential, the kind of people that we can trust, 
okay? And so this is going to come from, and I hope I get it all, uh, but this, this is going to come from uh, 2 Corinthians 6 and verses 3 to 10. It says this about Paul and Paul's team and the kind of godliness to aspire to and that group of people. It says this, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as imposters, known yet regarded as unknown, Dying, and yet we live on. Beaten, and yet not killed. Sorrowful, but always rejoicing. Poor, yet making many rich. Having nothing, and yet possessing everything. Those are the kind of people I want to be around. I want to be like them. I want to be with them. Make me more like them, Father and bring them all our way, right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for an opportunity to look at your word and to just see that there are certain kinds of folks that we want to be careful around. We want to guard our freedom. We have this freedom and it's been purchased for us by your son and the power of his bloodshed. So thank you for that. Now, Father, we are in him. Help us to live that way, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.